Hi, I'm Connie Loises. And this is Alex Gove. And this is Strictly VC Download. Hello, happy Friday. It is May 15th, 2020. Lots of news as always. Alex, how are you doing? Good, Connie. How are you? <laughs> Good. Alex and I are muddling through actually pretty well, all things considered. We haven't tried killing each other yet, which is something. Nothing has been proven yet. <laughs> so we were going to start this week's news roundup with a look at the real estate market and what trends might impact it going forward. Yeah. On Sunday, Eric Schmidt of Google fame predicted that companies will need more space after the pandemic, not less. And some companies are planning on going back to business. Apple is making plans to return employees to its major offices over the next few months. But many tech giants are taking a wait-and-see attitude. Facebook and Google have told employees that they can work from home until the end of the year. And Salesforce just announced the same thing. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey emailed employees and told them that they would be allowed to work at home permanently, even after the pandemic lockdown passes. It's a nightmare scenario for the commercial real estate industry, as Connie found out when she talked to some players in the industry. Yeah, well, it's something that I've been covering, I guess, for the last couple of months and just watching. There's so much going on. I mean, there's the blow up in the commercial real estate space, potentially, and also retail space, which is a completely different ball of wax. And that's looking even worse as companies start going out of business at a really accelerated pace. But on the commercial side, it's interesting. There's still a lot of questions. So as Alex was saying, there's a possibility, as Eric Schmidt is predicting, that companies will, because of regulations, actually need a bigger footprint to accommodate the same number of employees. But you also, on the other hand, have many more companies that are obviously allowing people to work from home. Those employees may, in many cases, continue to work from home indefinitely. So it's really unclear what's going to happen. I was really talking with investors this week who are focused on real estate tech to find out what they're seeing. Of course, it's sort of a strange time for them. A couple of them emerged on the scene in recent years, and they were really perfectly positioned to take advantage of this ongoing boom that we've found ourselves in. Of course, nobody could have predicted what's happened with COVID and its ripple effects. So now instead of perhaps looking at some of the technologies they were focused on a few months ago, they're looking suddenly at air purification systems and ways to better route traffic through floor plans and smart sensors that can determine how many people are in a room or have gone through a turnstile. So it's really interesting how much has shifted, but they do seem to be reacting pretty quickly and are also trying to figure out for themselves how they are going to get their own teams back in place. They aren't alone in trying to figure out next steps either. CBRE, the commercial real estate services giant, published some interesting numbers today. They had apparently surveyed 200 companies around the globe that said that they are planning phased re-entry into their own office spaces. And of those 200 companies, 59% said that they plan to provide face coverings for their employees, which is not surprising. But a much smaller percent, 28% plan to require face coverings at all times. 21% will allow visitors into the workplace in the early phases of reopening. And just 13% will be screening their employees on site at every facility. I would have thought that last number would be higher. Yeah, it seems like these numbers are all over the map and companies are really just trying to figure it out as they go along. 
In other tech news, Forge, formerly known as Equidate, and SharesPost announced that they were going to merge after agreeing to a $160 million cash and stock deal. The companies are declining to share any more financial specifics than that. Forge's CEO will run the company, and SharesPost founder and CEO will become an advisor and serve on the board of directors. Forge has raised $109 million to date, including an expansion of its Series B round that helped pay for this acquisition. SharesPost has raised $38 million from investors over the years. The combined company will have 200 employees across five offices. Connie wrote an article about this this week and spoke to Kelly Rodriguez, the CEO, about the strategic fit between the companies and some of the obstacles they faced. These are companies who I gather are coming together to bolster one another in opposition to Carta, which is a maybe eight-year-old company at this point, which started as a company that was focused on shoring up companies' cap tables and now has big ambitions to create this gigantic private company marketplace. Forge and Shares Post were both competing against this company, and of course, their strength in numbers. Also, Forge, the way Kelly described it, was really more interested and focused on institutional investors, whereas Shares Post has long been focused on retail investors. I think the question all around is how big the private company marketplace can ultimately be. There's been thinking for years that everything is shifting down market from the public markets onto the private markets. I think that's not great for America as a whole because a lot of mom and pop investors have been shut out of the growth of these companies. But I also wonder if there's going to be pushback against this narrative considering what's just happened here. I mean, I think while there's been a generation of startups that has sort of subscribed to the notion that staying private as long as possible is great, you know, a lot of these companies could have made their employees, their venture investors, their venture investors, limited partners, more money had they moved faster to go public. And I'm sure Airbnb's employees right now are wondering why that company didn't get out a lot faster. Instead, they find themselves out of work and in some cases, I would imagine, out of money. Yeah, there was just so much capital available for these private companies to maintain their private status and not face the demands of the public markets. I think they felt as if staying private longer gave them an advantage, but now perhaps they're thinking twice about that. In other news, just as we hate to let a week pass without talking about SoftBank and its vision fund, we also hate to let a week pass without talking about Elon Musk, our favorite hyper entrepreneur. Alex, what is he up to now? Well, it seems like he's pissing off Alameda County officials. He said this week that they could arrest him if they wanted to. He was going to start operations at the Tesla factory. He also announced that he was going to sell five more properties worth over $100 million after tweeting last week that he wasn't going to own anything anymore and he was going to give up his houses. This on the heels of having a baby named XAE12. So he's up to his usual tricks. Another thing that I saw late last night, I guess this happened maybe Wednesday night, he apparently got into a fight on Twitter with Facebook's head of AI, Jerome Pizzenti, who had said that Musk has, quote, no idea what he's talking about when he talks about AI. I think this is so interesting. This is like a years-long debate with Musk warning that AI is very dangerous and AI experts saying he's wrong. 
What he's talking about specifically is artificial general intelligence, which is this sort of hypothetical intelligence that has the capacity to understand or learn any intellectual task that a human being can. There are estimates that it is 10 years away, 50 years away, 500 years away. A lot of people who are focused on AI on a daily basis don't really even want to speculate uh, on when it might may arrive. But in any case, I think people sort of by and large feel like he's done a disservice to them and their work by being so alarmist about it. On the other hand, you could say he's made a lot of smart calls in his life and maybe he's not so far off in his predictions. Well, at the risk of playing both sides of the fence, I think they're both right because yes, it does seem like it's many, many years away from an AI developing the kind of ability to respond to natural speech and take over the world. On the other hand, when that moment occurs, it's going to happen very, very quickly, so quickly that it's very spooky. For example, that whole episode with DeepMind, which was able to learn how to beat the world's greatest chess masters by only looking at the rules of the game, not even looking at past games. That is crazy. Well, also people compare it to climate change. If you wait too long, it's very hard to reverse the damage. So better to sort of figure out regulations before it's here. And finally, another Strictly VC download whipping boy, Jeff Bezos. He was in the news this week. There was a viral story that he was on track to becoming the world's first trillionaire by 2026. The story gained so much momentum that politicians like Elizabeth Warren tweeted about it. However, in an article in Vox, the author pointed out that the story is basically flawed. It was based on a study by a company called Comparison that calculated that his wealth would grow at the same rate that it has grown over the last five years, which is a lot to assume given what's happening with the economy right now. Well, actually, you could see it even growing faster. Is that a possibility? I mean, Amazon's growth seems to be moving at, again, at an accelerated rate compared to a lot of other e-commerce companies. Perhaps Amazon is the singularity. <laughs> I don't know, but I do think it's really gross. A trillionaire, yuck. There's something very wrong with this country. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) And now, coming up, this week's interview with Kevin Rose, co-founder of Dig, general partner at True Ventures, and all-around nice guy. But before we get to that, a word from our sponsor. Join venture capitalist Alexio Bonazzos of Dream Machine and Nico Bonazzos, managing director of General Catalyst, for a Q&A on Extra Crunch Live on May 19th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. They'll be focusing on the future of their respective firms. General Catalyst has taken part in a few AI-focused funding rounds in 2020, and Dream Machine says that it, quote, hopes to help exceptional founders make science fiction nonfiction. You'll need to be an Extra Crunch member to join, and if you haven't joined yet, you can get cheap introductory access at techcrunch.com slash subscribe. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. It's it's a pleasure to finally connect and um, I feel like we're two ships passing in the night where I so closely work in different tech areas, but have never had a chance to connect. So this is great. Yeah, I feel the same. So, you know, I, well, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about, I understand that you're back in Portland now. When did you move to Oregon? Yeah, well, we moved to Oregon a couple of years ago. We came back to the West Coast from New York um, when we had our, or we were going to have our first child. And so we knew we wanted to be closer to family and my family's all up here in Portland. So the plan was just to come back to Portland and then bounce down to the Bay Area as needed. You know, it's an hour and 20 minute flight. So it's really easy to get back down there. And there's just so much, uh, so much to love about Portland. It's, it's such a fun city. It's a little shut down right now, obviously, as is everything else. But it's, uh, it is, when it's open, it's fun. I also remember it being remarkably clean. I haven't been in probably 10 years or so, but do they still wash down the streets at night? Yeah, I mean, it's it. I think that like every other city, there's definitely homeless uh, pockets and problems there. But, you know, in terms of what the city and like the smell of the air and the hiking trails and how people tend to take care of that aspect of things like the parks and all the, the fun things to do, like it's incred- incredibly clean and, and just a, a fun place to to get outside and and there's just so much to do that is off the computer, which is nice to to change it up from being on my laptop all day long. Right, right. Well, especially right now. And I have to ask you and make a joke about whether or not there are as many raccoons up there because I will never forget the video of you throwing that raccoon off your dog years ago, which I have to say, we have a dog and we just moved out of the city uh, into Marin County this past summer. This raccoon had it in for our dog. Uh, No joke. He was like, oh, yeah, our dog on a daily basis, like trying to scratch his eyes out. Yeah, I mean, and they will go directly for the eyes. And basically there's like it's no joke that there are actually a lot of dogs that are blind because they get in fights with raccoons and the raccoons immediately go for the eyes. And yeah, it was a really scary night. And it's so strange that it actually got caught on our security cameras. (laughs) So so I was able to share it out there. Yeah, well, for what it's worth, I would have done exactly the same had I, you know, found the bravery to do that. How are you dealing with COVID-19? Yeah, well, um, I think that for us, when you can work remote like this and having using Zoom and things like that, I feel very fortunate in that um, my daily job is intact and I'm still able to, you know, back entrepreneurs and take those meetings. So it's it's a very lucky position to be in. And I've, I've always kind of been up here with the rest of true being down in the Bay area. So it's, that's been not much of a change there. I actually get to see my, some of my coworkers more frequently because we do like our weekly lunch now over zoom where we all get together. So I get those interactions, which is nice, but you know, it's a scary time. It's like today, for example, we have two little girls and we, we have one nanny and our nanny came down with a fever. And we sent her home early. Fevers are no joke these days, even a slight fever. You know, what do you do? Like you sanitize the best you can, you wear masks. Um, it's just a little unsettling. There's no easy way outside of a couple glasses of wine to just finally like forget about all the chaos that's going on. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. How has it affected your worldview of investing and what you're doing with True? It's a good question. I, I think that there is a lot of great people out there right now that have free time to think of new ideas. And so whereas I would have thought that on the investing side, there would be a slowdown, I'm still continuing to meet with great entrepreneurs that are coming up with their next big idea. And and they've got um, 
the downtime and the extra cycles now to have that focus to really put in some time to building prototypes. And so in terms of the deals that we're seeing week over week, like there's been no change for me. I would say if anything, it's remained the same or a little bit higher. It's, it's different in that I'm not going and sitting down face to face and having a coffee. We've done a couple of deals so far where we have never met the founders face to face, which is a first for, for us. But it's, it's all doable. And I think you just spend more time on Zoom, kind of getting to know the people behind the camera prior to doing a deal. But we want to continue to support entrepreneurs and continue to write checks and, and, and back great companies because uh, they're going to continue to get built. Have you received any feedback from your LPs saying, hey, Kevin, why don't you guys take a pause while we figure out how our portfolio is shaping up? No, we haven't received any of that feedback. I think that they look at the instruction and the support that we're giving our entrepreneurs. Like one of the things that we care a lot about is how we can help. We have over 300 different founders that we want to set up support systems and groups to help them get through this as well. And not just financially, but figuring out, for example, how to reopen responsibly. Like, how, how do you do that? What is the new norm? What does that look like? What best practices are our companies putting into place? And so, you know, we've been really doubling down on our education component and um, creating these weekly gatherings where dozens of founders get together via Zoom and communicate what they're doing and how they're taking it slow or they're deciding to allow everyone to work remote or, you know, everyone's doing it a little bit differently. We had some founders that weren't for the first time went, went through their first round of layoffs. And we had some founders that were trying to navigate whether they, they should apply for these loans or not. And there's just a lot going on right now. So I would say a lot of our focus has been obviously less on the, the daily coffee meetings and more in, on ensuring that side of the business up and then still continuing to take the, the new investments and things that are introduced to us. So yeah, our LPs have been very supportive and have really encouraged us to just keep doing what we're doing. I have to say, I've been astonished by the pace of activity. I really thought things were going to slow down. I keep thinking, maybe we'll see it in June, maybe not. But I'm getting the same feedback. A lot of people are starting to figure out the Zoom stuff. They're talking to more people on the executive team than they might have anyway in you know, sort of a more traditional pitch meeting. Also, I think it's your point about getting back to the office is really interesting. I was just talking to some real estate-focused venture firms to sort of figure out, like, how they make bets now and what those conversations with their LPs, many of whom are sort of like commercial real estate giants, sound like right now. And there's so much focus on like air quality and how employees will move around spaces. There's just so many open questions. Is your sense that a lot of these founders are going to go back into their offices this year? I know it's case by case, but what are some of the solutions that you're hearing? We have entrepreneurs that have storefronts, like actual physical storefronts, others that have distributed teams by default. So that's, that's just obviously work as, as usual, more or less in that environment. So I think it's, it's all over the place, but I would say that most of the people that I've had a conversation with are being more cautious and not wanting to go crazy and get everyone back in the office on day one. They'd rather sit and wait things out a little bit. Most of these are technology companies and not brick and mortar. So we do have the tools at our disposal to do a lot of this work remote. So it's not like there's that added pressure to be in the office for one reason or another. I would say a lot of entrepreneurs are taking that kind of like, if we're going to do this, 
Let's really think it through and not be afraid to revert back if we do this too quickly or Mm -hmm. the numbers start changing in a certain direction. So just really keeping their pulse on what's happening wherever they're based because it is so different from state to state. You've sort of bounced back and forth between investing and and being an operating executive and a founder throughout your career. You had most recently founded two companies, Zero, which is a fasting company, and Oak, a meditation company. I'm just wondering, can you catch us up on the status of those companies? Where are they based? And I guess, are you still involved in the day-to-day or what's happening? Absolutely. So those are the last two projects that I launched. Before joining True as a full-time partner, they had backed a couple of my previous companies, um, one that I had sold to Google, um, and then one that is now Hodinkee based out of New York. I joined True as a venture partner, and the expectation was to go out and build some products and then also do an occasional investment. So, you know, could be one a year, could be zero, doesn't, didn't really matter. Just more, just sit around the table and help vet potential ideas and meet with founders and, you know, just help out in any way you really can. So I essentially, you know, had built some products. Uh, One of them um, was Zero, which is the intermittent fasting app. And that really started to take off. And it was based largely on two things. One, the science was pointing in the direction that fasting was not just, you know, quote unquote, a fad diet, and that there are really positive health benefits to doing uh, intermittent fasting in terms of longevity and lower glucose levels and a whole slew of different things like cell autophagy and all this really cutting edge science. But it was largely driven because I had a friend of mine, Mike Mazur, who I'd worked with before. We worked together at Dig, and he actually created a company called Fitstar that he sold to Fitbit. And it was uh, so he was really into health and fitness. And Mike was diagnosed with stage four non Hodgkin's lymphoma a little over five years ago. And as part of his treatment with chemotherapy, he was prescribed intermittent fasting. They're doing fasting now in conjunction with chemo to help the outcomes. And so Mike was able to beat back cancer. He is now five years cancer-free, which is amazing. And um, he's a fantastic CEO and was the perfect person to take on the project and run with it because it really started growing so fast. I mean, Zero now is adding 25,000 new users a day. That's zero paid acquisition. It's top 25 health and fitness app. Millions of people use it a month. And it's it's gotten to the stage where it needed someone that could just focus on it full time and build out a team around it. So Mike created Big Sky Health. He took that app along with Oak, which is my uh, meditation app. And he's also launched a third app called Less, which is about tracking your alcohol consumption, being more mindful about the number of drinks you're consuming, you know, week over week and month over month. So he really has a focus on longevity and these pillars of health, both physical, mental, and really wanted to create a suite of different applications to address that. So he was the perfect person to, to take these products that, you know, and zero being the first one really inspired by him and the, and some of the data that he had shared with me. So he's now full-time CEO and, and running with that. And I, I just kind of a, board observer at this point. I, I don't, I come in and help with product design reviews and, and we, we chat about that type of stuff, but he's running all the day to day. That's great. I have to keep closer track on all of them. Less sounds very timely, uh, considering that a lot of people I think are wrestling with developing alcohol <laughs> problems during this uh, shelter in place period, which isn't, you know, I mean, everyone sort of jokes about it, but I think it is kind of a, an evolving uh, problem. It's a real thing. I mean, it, for anyone that likes to drink the casually and socially, 
being cramped up indoors and especially with all of the stress around the things that are happening in the world and your savings accounts and your family and friends. And I mean, unfortunately, uh, it, it can be a, a trigger for people to consume more alcohol. They always say that what can measure, you can actually manage. And I think that's uh, that's one of the things that Les is really good at is, is just letting you measure all of that and, and make sure that you're staying within your own personal goals, you know, and this certainly isn't for someone that has a real problem. We always push people to physicians and proper care, but it's just more about lightweight consumption and tracking. It seems like the two are complementary. I think I would start drinking more heavily if I were fasting, but uh, (laughs) um, I noticed that you and Tim Ferriss have a strong relationship. Do you guys think of ideas for new personal productivity applications? Yeah, I mean, Tim and I have known each other for, gosh, I want to say like maybe 12 or so plus years now. And we became friends a long time ago. And he was actually one of the first original biohackers way back in the day that was doing this crazy stuff with the launch of the four hour body. And he's the one that got me into continuous glucose monitors and all these, um, you know, actually understanding all the different markers in your blood work and paying attention to all that stuff. So he's, he's been a big inspiration of mine and, and kind of my interest in all things health and wellness. And the fact that I'm taking a little bit more of a focus on that as an investor definitely directly comes from uh, the influence that Tim has had on me in that arena over the years. But we, we always love to get together for an occasional podcast. We do them like once a quarter and, and we just have so much history now at this point. It's just like a couple of idiots on a, you know, drinking a <laughs> glass of wine and, and, and talking about whatever we're up to and what books we're reading and just like all the random stuff that we do. So it's, it's always a lot of fun to, to hang with Tim. It's unfortunate that we're in these circumstances where we can't see each other more. But uh, I did get a chance to see him. Actually, uh, he came out and visited me in Portland just before all of this went down. So it was nice to, to have that time. That is really nice. And I did watch part of your conversation with him a couple of weeks ago, and I really enjoyed it. I wanted to also talk to you about cryptocurrency, which is not something that I follow very closely. And I feel like it was kind of entering into the conversation of the mainstream business press a couple of years ago, and then it seemed to lose momentum, at least there. And now it's back. Andreessen Horowitz just closed its second crypto fund with $515 million. And I know this Bitcoin having event is coming up, which I frankly don't completely understand. And maybe it's already happened. Uh, that's how far removed I am from it. Yeah, it's already happened. <laughs> oh, did it? Did it happen like today or yesterday or? Yeah, a couple of days ago. Okay, great. So is this something that you're tracking closely still? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something where I had a personal passion. At the end of the day, like I'm... I'm really a geek. Like, sadly, I I love reading tech news and hacker news. And like, you know, I was an old school slash dot reader way back in the day and installing different distributions of Linux just because they sounded cool. And so when crypto first came onto the scene, I installed and, you know, compiled my own wallet and got that all up and running and was was playing around with it and, and was excited about it. I think there's two sides of it. One side is the usability piece of it, which I believe that it is still extremely difficult and not mainstream enough to be used as a currency. I think that it just from a user experience standpoint, you say, hey, this is my this is my address, these random set of characters and strings, and you have to be okay with sending it to this weird thing that you have to copy and paste. We forget how many people don't even know how to copy and paste like to begin with. So I think that the cryptocurrency is still this um, archaic, non-user-friendly service that's out there, and it's very difficult for people to wrap their heads around. That said, 
there is no doubt that the future of currency is digital. We're not going back to printing paper. If you had to in, create a brand new country today, you wouldn't go out and start buying printing presses to create your currency. You would issue something digitally. So it is certainly the future. Like there will be something that comes into existence that is spendable and easy to understand and is based on some type of blockchain technology. Like there is no doubt that will be the case. The problem is that there is a lot of folks out there that are just in this for just for the pure financial gain. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of garbage out there. That's unfortunate because it really drags down the high quality projects and it muddies the space quite a bit. So it's something that as investors, we have to pay attention to and we have to wade through the garbage to try and find the high quality projects that truly matter. And it is something that I continue to track because I do believe in the future of it. But I'm not someone that is writing a check to a new cryptocurrency startup every few weeks. Like I think that there'll probably one or two interesting projects that I would want to back every year. For me, it's a it's a very dangerous space to play in. You, I believe when you were at Google Ventures as a partner, had led the Ripple investment. That's right. So Kevin, I, I know that been somewhat controversial in part because the CEO, Brad Garlinghouse, formerly of Yahoo and Google, has, uh, I guess, sold some of his shares. I guess the co-founder has sold some of his shares. It's not being used as the company intended. I just wonder, like, what do you think of what, I guess, XRP has become and its utility and its future? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So, yeah, when I invested in Ripple would have been their first round of financing seven years, something like that. I don't know. I have to look up exactly when that happened, but Brad was not running the company. There was a different CEO. <laughs> you know, the original founders were all still in place. There was a very different world uh, when Ripple was first getting off the ground. And the promise and the excitement that I had around Ripple was that cryptocurrency was so raw. There was no way for the enterprise to embrace it in any fashion. I remember when Red Hat came around and actually created these, you know, service level agreements and they and they turned Linux into something that was created by hackers for hackers and kind of this like truly enterprise ready and could be used and supported and paid for and would have those types of uptime guarantees and things of that nature. So early Ripple reminded me of that, like a company that could come in and that could put some standards in place and have these uptime guarantees and work with commercial banks and create a backbone that was based on blockchain. So that was very exciting. I never really saw the use case for Ripple as a currency. I understood that it was going to be used as a way to handle settlement in some capacity. It's been quite a few years since I was at Google Ventures, so I don't track it as closely as I used to, so I'm not sure how that's being used um, as part of settlement today. But that was that was the excitement around it that many years ago was was around creating something that commercial banks could understand and get comfortable with because they weren't comfortable with just random blockchain technology created by anonymous founders. You know, do you think the number of cryptocurrencies needs to shrink before the cryptocurrency can be accepted in a more mainstream way, or is it possible for all these cryptocurrencies to survive, you know, ad infinitum? I think that. There is less of what we would call the 
small little quick tweaks and relaunching of currencies. Like I guess when the best example was when Litecoin was first introduced, it was just a small tweak to the Bitcoin code relaunched under a different brand. And then that's what it was called. And it was, you know, had a couple advantages at the the beginning um, over Bitcoin. And then that was a whole new currency. And that happened so many times over, not in terms of Bitcoin code, but, you know, other projects as well. So there were small, different, slight modifications of source code to create new projects. And we all kind of in the space now look at that as just wasteful coding and just, you know, nothing that would ever have any real traction or any real legs long term. So I think that when you're thinking about the projects where there is real legitimate work being done. I think there's a couple of of areas that I'm excited about. I still do believe that the idea of using smart contracts is going to be something that stays with us for quite a long time and is a smart use of time in terms of the evolution and supporting new projects around making furthering that idea. Also increasing, you know, transactions per second is a must projects like Solana and others that have created new types of blockchains that are able to do thousands or tens of thousands of transactions per second to actually support Visa-like scale are very important for a real currency to exist. It doesn't need to happen for Bitcoin when you talk about something that is like more of a store of value and less about daily transactions or swipes or you know anything like that. So that's something that I pay attention to is how um, people are scaling these, these networks. And then I would say decentralized finance is another really interesting component where people have created these um, stable currencies and and what that means for the adoption in third world countries and places where there is a lot of daily currency fluctuation. That's an important piece of technology to be solved and hopefully will propagate throughout countries where it's needed. It's early days, though. This is going to be a space that will continue to mature over the next couple of decades. It's not going to be one and, and there's not going to be any home run mass adoption of any one technology in the next just few years. There's a good chance you won't even know you're using cryptocurrency. I could see something like, say, a square cash moving to uh, some type of stable coin underneath the covers to where we're still using it today and it's connected to our bank accounts. Then all of a sudden, behind the scenes, it switches out and it you know, all the settlements user to user are happened on are happening on the blockchain, like things like that will most likely happen in a really simple and easy to use interface by a very trusted brand. Do you have any thoughts about what Reddit's doing with these cryptocurrencies that's rolled out to two of its groups, I guess, to reward users for quality comments? And I guess if they accrue enough of the cryptocurrency, they can buy swag and get other rewards. I thought that whole thing was sort of curious. Yeah, I, I've, I've always been interested in in what would happen if you could create a smaller currency that is not so much as to be used for value in the real world or actually buying physical goods, but for the health of a community. What would it, would it mean if you incentivized and rewarded people for good behaviors that they could then spend into other things and other aspects of the community, whether it be bumping up the prioritization of feature development on certain projects that they found interesting. I'd sent out a tweet a few years ago where I thought about if I had to reinvent Dig, what would that look like? And I think it would be a lot more driven based on a reward system like that rather than just a random vote that just goes off and does nothing. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, an empty, an empty number just going up by one. I was really excited to see Reddit doing this because I, I think it's a, 
it's an exploration that's worth trying. Like, why not? They can test out in a couple really popular subreddits, see what works, what doesn't, and they'll probably be surprised by some things that the community props up and does with it in very unique ways. And that's always how new features and new ideas get started. I applaud them for, for taking that on. It should be fun to watch. Kevin, I also wondered what you make of VR. You're talking about technologies that have gotten a lot of attention and maybe are sort of farther out than was anticipated a year or two ago. Uh, I did see a tweet of yours yesterday where you were talking about um, Epic Games announcing its new Unreal Engine, which is going to, I guess, unveil next year. Yeah, it's going to be in the new PlayStation, the new Xbox. It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. I saw I saw a little bit of the video. So I guess how close or far away or how interested, including as an investor, are you in, in, in VR? Yeah, I, I, I've, oh gosh, I got a lot of flack from people because I, I did a blog post uh, here like five years ago or so that said I thought that VR was a joke and was basically dismissive of it. I've avoided it altogether. I think that VR is... I don't want to piss off people when I say, say things like this. I don't think like how I can phrase this. It reminds me of when we all got the Nintendo Wii and we had so much fun swinging around the controllers and playing virtual tennis with each other. And then after a couple of weeks, the controllers just ended up in the drawer. It does a fantastic demo. You throw on a VR headset and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. And then you get a little nauseous or you get a little sweaty. And all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, I'm just like kind of sticky and no one else can see what I was, I'm doing. And I look a little awkward it's like the Segway. We all had fun riding Segways. They were awesome. And I still would do one if I was on a trip where no one could see me doing it. Right. You know, like, I don't want to be caught with a picture of me, like with a Segway and a helmet on. It's, 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 it's kind of one of those technologies that I just feel isn't the right size and it's still clunky. I don't think we should abandon it altogether. I'm not a hater that I feel it should be completely shut down, but I just don't think it's going to be, especially now. I mean, look what happened. We went into straight up lockdown, like the best possible time for VR sales to go through the roof. And what happened? The, the Nintendo Switch sold out, right. you know, and, and so did Peloton and like, you know, all these things that like what happened VR, this was your moment to shine and it just didn't, it's clunky and it's awkward and it's needs another five, 10 years. And it, it'll probably be AR and it'll probably be something that is a, a little bit more multiplayer. I, I don't know. I've just never been a, a fan. So I, I avoided these first couple ways of investing in the space. I, and, uh, I, I'm glad that I did. And I think there's some really cool ideas and a few, a few different projects that I saw where I'm, I'm glad that they exist and they are pushing things forward, but the use case is, uh, it's like a small niche little thing right now. Are there any areas in, in particular that you're really focused on right now? I love health and wellness. I think that that's um, been something I've been paying a lot of attention to, as you could tell with the intermittent fasting and all the other types of apps. And I love, I love these ideas of these closed loop systems. I mean, if you think about uh, like just our, our Teslas in general and how many sensors they have on them and they can tell us exactly what's going on and pinpoint any potential problem in the vehicle within you know a millisecond and the fact that we have to go and get these blood draws and wait five days and get them the data interpreted by a doctor and then tell us what's going on, like that is just such a waste of time and resources. And all of that entire timeline is just going to completely compress down to nothing. You can see it today. Like, you know, I can go and have a banana right now. And within five minutes while we're on this podcast, I can show you on my Apple watch exactly what my real time glucose levels are. 
And that's just one marker of so many that we need to explore and be able to investigate and have insight into in a real-time nature. And it will really help us make changes throughout our day, positive changes uh, to our lifestyle. And there's companies that I think are doing some really interesting work here. Like there's a whole field of neuroscience that, that people have started to explore called the psychoacoustics where you can apply certain frequencies and create certain tones. Uh, and if you listen to these, they will create different types of brain states. So whether you want a little bit more focus or energy or relaxation for sleep, there's a company called Endel, which is doing all this in, in real time. Apple's featured them a bunch and they connect to your Apple watch and they look at circadian rhythms. They look at the weather outside, they look at your heart rate, you know, heart rate variability, all these different things. And you say, I want to go into a more relaxed state now. And so they're bringing in all that real-time data and creating these soundscapes and adjusting it based on that real-time data. It's early days for a lot of those things, but they're really exciting projects. And I think that, you know, why they're really invasive right now, like to get to your glucose levels, for example, you have to push the button on this little device that shoots a little syringe into your side and injects this wire into you. And, you know, sometimes you hit a vein and it's not pretty, you're bleeding all over the place. And my wife is like, why are you doing this? You're not even diabetic. And so, you know, there's a lot of those discussions around the Rose household, but, um, I would say that your wife is a PhD in neuroscience. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So she's, uh, definitely more qualified to, to give me shit than anybody else. So, uh, <laughs> But I, I would say that I'm just fascinated by this stuff. And I think that we're going to see, um, you know, I know Dexcom's working on a bunch of crazy stuff. And then there's going to be others that come out with devices that are looking at more than just, just glucose. It'll be a whole slew of different things. That's great. So, Kevin, I don't want to keep you too long. And I so appreciate you doing this. I just wanted to ask, corny as it is, but I think, um, you know, founders do look up to you. And I just wondered... You've had some extreme highs and some lows, like anybody who's been in the industry for a long time. A lot of people are trying to figure this out. A lot of people are finding themselves, I guess, you know, VCs talk about their green and their yellow and their red buckets. Any advice to people who might be finding themselves in the yellow or red buckets and wondering like what to do right now, especially since the future is so uncertain? It's really tough because obviously at True, when you have 300 plus companies, you, you're dealing with a lot of different emotions right now. You have some companies that are actually accelerating during this weird time. We have Madison Reed, which is a hair dye company that is just absolutely exploding right now because so many people are dyeing their hair at home. And uh, other companies, you know, where their businesses are, are going through really rough patches right now. So, you know, I would say that if there's anything that that I've learned as an entrepreneur would be number one is to, to seek out mentors and people that you can have an open and honest conversation with. And hopefully those should be your investors as well. The entrepreneur is already going through so much crap. Like the last thing they need is that one more person piling on. Right. So a good investor should be someone that you can have an open and honest conversation with and being like, I'm struggling in these areas or I need support in these areas. And just like, you know, I know my early days of dig and some of my biggest mistakes was admitting that I didn't know something. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was scared. I thought it was a weakness. And I, I, I saw it as something where if they put me on the cover of business week, I should know how to do X, Y, or Z. And like, you know, all these things that are going around in your head. And, and in reality, it's just like, we're all learning constantly. We should always, that should never end. You know, I'm a big advocate of lifelong learning and, and admitting when you're wrong and, and, and admitting that you don't know something is just actually growing. Uh, so I would say that for me, it's always helped to, to surround myself with mentors or good investors or other people that I can sit down and have that truly transparent conversation about how I'm doing 
because at the end of the day, we, we, we want to help you try and get through this. And then also at the same time, there's no shame in shutting something down. Like some people won't get through this and they'll have to start something new. And, you know, I've had many failed companies, you know, and I've, I've tried a bunch of crazy stuff for me anyway, that's the excitement of this all. It's like, we've, we've got this life to live and we're going to die soon. And it could be the COVID that takes us out or something else who knows. And why not go try a bunch of crazy ideas? And, and it's okay to cut bait sometimes and say, I'm done and, and just move on to the next thing. And there's no shame in that. We just learn something new and we're ready to move on. So I hope that we can prop up our fellow entrepreneurs and show them support because there are going to be, there's going to be a lot of, of carnage in, in, in this whole cycle. It's no one's fault. It's just to try and be supportive wherever you can, I think is my, my best advice. Kevin, thank you again for joining us. Really a treat. Great to see you. And I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And I, I have been listening to your show now. I went and was actually playing your web player today and we started listening through back episodes. So thanks for putting it out. It's, uh, it's great content. Thanks. We're still figuring out what we're doing, but <laughs> we're getting there. Thanks, Kevin. That's it. Another show in the books. That was fun talking to Kevin, didn't you think, Connie? Definitely. Eminently likable person. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Terrific week. And we will see you back here next Friday.